0: Hey, this is Tolly Wilkes of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So uh, I was indeed in, uh, in Nashville this week, and um, I was doing some training. Had an, an amazing time at um, this, uh, this leadership venue. I was the only uh, pastor there. There were a few other believers, and um, many who weren't, and that was cool as well, and uh, a few that did just challenge um, uh, a faith period, and that was awesome too, fantastic conversations. And uh, I had a great, great time, but um, last, uh, uh, going over there, one thing I, I did was some trips I'm more planned out than others. This was one of the others. And so I just decided uh, last minute, I was just like, I don't know, I'll get a hotel, I'll get a place, who cares? And so um, the other day, like the night before I was to leave, I was like, hey, it would probably be good if I went ahead and booked a place to stay. (laughs) And uh, so I hopped on uh, Airbnb and uh, just scrolled around a little while and uh, landed me this place. Now I went and checked all of the reviews and all, and this particular place had a ton of reviews, like 138 reviews. I was like, all right, sweet. And so I go in there and all, and I get in there, and there's this list on the table that's, like, how you're supposed to pack up. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that about an Airbnb. Like, I've never done an Airbnb. Always done hotels. Made people come in and clean everything up. And so I was like, okay. And then I got a little nervous because there's a review process. Like, did you guys know that, like, when you use an Airbnb, the host can review you? that's a real thing. So like, I'm thinking like, hold on, hold on, I paid money, I review you. But Airbnb's like, nah bro, you are gonna go in people's homes and mess stuff up? We get to review you too. So I was like, oh, this is, I gotta, I gotta do, so I paid attention, like I studied that checkout list and, and so I was like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, make sure we're good. Now obviously I was just there to rest and then my conference is at a whole hold place. So I wasn't in it a whole lot, but I was like, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta pass. I gotta get this right. I, I, I gotta get the gold star. Who wants to have a terrible baby? You know, Airbnb. Oh, this person stunk. You know, <laughs> this, what would you leave on the toilet? Like, you don't want that stuff on your uh, Airbnb profile. So, uh, so I went ahead and and, uh, and and did all that. But then here's what I found out. Here's what I found out about the review process. It asked me, "Hey, would you like to review your host?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I want to do that." And then it says. Your host will review you, but you may not know what they say until after you hit submit on your review. So now I feel like I'm in this blind face-off like a Western, because <laughs> now I'm like, well, I don't know. What did I think of you? <laughs> Bam. But I decided it was a little Charlie Angels moment, huh? So I shouldn't do that. So too much leg. So, <laughs> so here's the deal. You're like, I'm gonna review this sermon. So here's the thing. So I uh, I was like, it's all right. I had a great experience, like it was what it was, like it was it was it was fine. So I, I went ahead and 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 I and I clicked the button and I was like, oh man, oh man, what's what's the review gonna reveal? And then it comes back and it was like Tolly was courteous and extremely clean, we'd be glad to have him back. That's, oh yeah, yes! That's how many of us go through our walk with Jesus. Many of us are just like, Lord, wh- what's your review today? Wh- wh- what's your review? What are you gonna give me, how am I doing? And we're just constantly doing this check-in. Or even worse, we're the other side of the review right? Just trashing up the place around us, not being very thoughtful, you know, leaving little presents in the toilet. Like, we're we're just doing stuff everywhere that's not exactly what God would have for us, never thinking there'll be any review. No consequence at all for how we treat his creation, how we treat the people around us, how we treat ourselves. And so, Psalm 32 is David's processing of his review process over sin. Psalm 32 is this narrative where David's kind of going backwards now. Now that he's kind of got things patched up, he's just like, "Man, let me let me debrief." You ever have a debrief? Some of you at your at at your um, offices or in your jobs, you have a debrief. You have a 360 review, and everybody's just like, "This is what we think of you." And and so let's have let's have a little debrief here, and that's where we're in the Psalm 32 today. This is David uh, was was in charge of the whole land, big king, big top dog, had everything he wanted. He looked down one day, just kind of looking over his masterpiece of a land, and, and he saw this woman sunbathing on her roof, and she was nude. And having everything he wanted, he still wanted more. That's what gets many of us in trouble. Not appreci- appreciating what we have or who we have around us, but just wanting more, just wanting more. And can never pinpoint it, because once we get more, then we want what? More. And so that in and of itself often drives many of us to do some stupid stuff. And so here was David about to do a stupid thing, and he went and said, I want more. And so he, he said, hey, go, go get me that woman. And, and so they come up, and he ends up uh, cheating and sleeping with, with her. And, and not only that, but he ends up sending off his, uh, her, her uh, husband to war on the front lines to murder him, have him killed, the king that didn't fight in battle. Stealing people's women, sending people off to die in his place. And so eventually, it all catches up with him, and conviction settles in, and he finally realizes, like, I can't be living like this. This is crazy. Many of us have been there. We just say, man, what am I doing? Who am I looking at in the mirror when I brush my teeth? Who is that guy? And so here's where David was, and he ended up going through a a period of contrition. He ended up humbling himself before God. He actually lost a son out of that relationship, and ultimately, he, he, that was a penalty that he had to pay. Ultimately, later, though, that we dis, we're describing, when we think about David, we describe this guy as a man after God's own heart. And we're like, man, how does that fit? How does that work together? And your friends who know nothing about the Bible, nothing about Christianity, nothing about your faith, they will just look at it and just say, God is, is this and that, and God's terrible, and God's mean, God's judgmental. And yet, here we got this guy that was... The man after God's own heart is also the same dude who had this mortal sin, terrible sin. How does that compute? It's all about God. It's not about David. It's not about me. not about you. It's all about the character of God. That's why getting to know the character of God is so important to your spiritual life. You can work all day long on self-help. You can go in the airport like we did and pass all these books of 58 ways to do this and that, and it's just somebody's ploy to get your money. But if you want to change your character, commit yourself to getting to know God's character. If you, you want to work on you, start working on just, God, who are you? Like for a minute, don't even judge yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Don't even try to do self-work. Just go and just say, hey, God, who are you? What are you about? Because if you're true, if it's real, if it's all legit, then, then, then the character of the one who made me will display for me the roadmap how to become me. Because he made me. He knows me. He knows what the the end game is. And so David, in his close encounter with God, he writes these words that are left for us to just say, man, how do I handle the Airbnb review of life when it comes to God? Verse 1 says this in Psalm 32, starting in verse 1. It says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. 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 Whose sin is covered. Say covered. Covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Say no iniquity. iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Say no deceit. Look at the image that David, this guy who, who, who was coveting somebody else's wife, who slept with her, who, who ultimately had a man murdered, all this stuff was King David. And, and he's the one saying, I want to give you a lesson today, church. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, who is, there's, the sin is covered up. There is no iniquity and they're in their heart. There's no deceit. That's the guy that's our teacher. And he's like, you know what, I, I, I've got this feeling in my bones, I want to get out, I want to tell you that you're blessed when you have this feeling like I feel. Here's where it comes from, it feels right to be made right with God. It feels right to be made right with God. Because see, we, we look back and, and from a distance we look at David's life and we're like, man, how do you have a right to talk about what, what it feels like when your life's together? Because you know what? We're conditioned to look out for the negative. We have a negativity bias. Do you know what I'm talking about? The negativity bias? You could have yourself completely together, but you have a spot on your shirt. Guess what you notice? Right? You, you, could, you could go through, and we've all been there, right? You could have, uh, you, you could have a, a couple of weeks where nothing, your, your face is all clear and stuff, and then you have, you have one night maybe where you forgot to, to wash your face before bed, and you wake up, and there's a little, little red mark right there. And guess what you think about? It? You don't think about your friends or relationships or the, the good things in your life and the job or, the, or all that stuff, the school. You don't think about all the God's gifts he's given to you that day. Guess what you think about all day? I've got Mount Kilimanjaro right here, right? <laughs> to everyone else, it's just like, well, it's a little, a little discoloring, but you're fine. Like, move on. No, it's a volcano. So we have negativity bias. We, we look into the situation, and we can all see the negative. All of us can. This is I've, long ago. I just, I'm just like, you know, no crap, Sherlock. I've just kind of gotten to the place to where, like, everybody can see the negative. So what? I'm not giving you a treat. I'm not giving you a gold star for telling me what's broken. We give out gold stars for people that fix stuff, right? But we look at David and we're like, man, uh, our negativity bias shows up. And we're just like, man, David, like, how are you the one? You know why I could say all this? Because it just feels right to be made right with God. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how many people you've run over, you still have it available to you to be completely right before God and to be completely confident in your day-to-day and to be completely joyful and to pursue, listen, this is what justification is, just as if I had never sinned, and, and, and for you to pursue the glory of God in your life as if you were born pure, stayed pure, and you'll die pure. You have the right before God Should you confess Christ, surrender your sin to him. Let him be your leader and forgiver. Let him be the model of how to live. Let him be the one that guides your steps. Let him be the plumb line by which you measure your life or your journey or your success. Let let Jesus be that. And if you'll do that and let Jesus take that uh, rule and reign in your life, then you have the right, child of God, to be bold and confident and connected and go out and to be the man or woman God designed you to be. Why? That right is not based on your behavior. It's based on the behavior of your Savior. And if God wanted you to live with your head in the sand like an ostrich the rest of your life, because of some sin you did or some character flaw you had or some period of life where you're ashamed of, how was I acting? That's crazy. If God wanted you to hide your head in the sand, and uh, this would not ever be in the Bible. For David to be given a lesson to us and telling us how good it is to stand before a holy God. But I find when we talk about spring cleaning, when I'm talking about the Airbnb, I find many of us, even though we've cleaned up the situation through the power of Christ in our life, many of us are still eagerly awaiting that review. How am I doing? How am I doing today? Does God love me? Does Daddy even want to call me his own? Am I a good son before God? Am I a good daughter? And, and, and we're just constantly on edge. And that's not freeing. It just feels right to be made right with God. For when I kept silent, verse 3 says, for when I kept silent, everybody say silent, my bones wasted away. You see, because there was this period of time where David was proud in his sin and, 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 he, and he was silent in his sin and, and he didn't go to God and didn't acknowledge before God what he was doing was wrong. There was this period of time between the sin and the confession and he was just like, ooh, it was aching in his soul and he couldn't figure it out. He couldn't understand why he couldn't find joy between him and God. He couldn't understand how he wasn't living out his best life in the moment because he just didn't get it because you know why? He was silent about what he and God knew. It says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And when we read this, we think, wow, the imagery that that David's using poetically here is that God's hand was on his shoulder." God's hand is on me. He's, 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 he's tired. He's drained. He's strained. He can't move. It says he's dried up like the heat of the summer. And he's still feeling this hand on his life that's, that's there. Saying, Lord, when I was silent, I couldn't hardly go forward. I, I couldn't feel like any progress was being made. I, I, I didn't feel joyful. I wasn't living exuberantly. I was, I was just there stuck in my sin. And I felt this weight on me. Now we could look at that. And we could say, oh, poor David. God's so mean. I mean, isn't it God's job to run when we're feeling bad and just throw splash water in our face and carry us? And, you know, the whole, the whole the footprints in the sand poem. Pastor? No. Or you could look in the other way and say, you know what? In the middle of David's worst moment, where was God's hand? On him. On him. He was still present with David. Even in the conviction he was feeling, God's presence was there. What is heaven? What is heaven? Heaven is you in the presence of your maker. You in the presence of God. Heaven is the presence of God. This is why you and I can bring the presence of heaven everywhere we go. Because if you've been saved, sealed by the Spirit of God, the Bible says that the Spirit of God takes up residency in your life. and So everywhere you go, guess who goes? God. His presence goes with you. This is how you can be in a room, and the moment you find out some people are believers, or the moment you sense it, you could just say there's something different there. It's your brother, your sister. The presence of God is with them. And you're like, man, those people are different. The Bible says that the world's going to know us by our love. God is love. The presence. So even in the middle of David's worst His presence was there. So you can look at it and just say, oh, God should be doing something different. He should be making David happy. Or you could say, man, God loved David so much that in his worst moment, he still had his hand on him. David could still feel God's presence. Conviction is evidence of God's mercy over us. Conviction is evidence of God's mercy over us. The fact that God is still speaking to you is a good thing, a glorious thing. The fact you can hear conviction in your ear, it's a good thing. Do you know the one bad thing, one thing that is worse than conviction? Not having conviction. Because when when God is, is has his hand on you, and you feel the weight of it, that's the moment of conviction where it's like, hey, Tali, you know you're doing wrong. Come on. You're my son. You're better than this. And that conviction, it's like, oh, God, I just, and, and, and he's like, Tali, just confess your sin. Let's get it right. Like, I died. Remember that? I'm so quick to forgive you. I want to forgive you. As we talked a few weeks ago, it's for his own sake, the book of Isaiah says. It's his own sake that he separates the sin. Why? Because he's a good dad, and he doesn't want to see you through your sin. But while you have it, he's not a good dad if he knows that you're doing things that hurt yourself and hurt others. So there's this conviction that he gives us that's a blessing of his mercy to just say it's a reminder Tolly. At any moment when you're ready to stop living like the enemy of God, this same hand is going to become the one that holds you and draws you close. But I'm still here, and I want you to know that I'm ready for complete forgiveness. And the only thing worse than that is when the Bible describes it, that in their sin, God removed his hand. And that God, the Bible says, gave them over to. God gave them over to. That is the worst place to be is when the presence of God leaves and conviction's not there, not because you're not in sin, but because you were so disrespondent, despondent to God and, and, and pushing him away, you were so set in your sin that it no longer felt like conviction. That's the scary place. It's not a scary place to have the hand of God on you saying, Tali, get this together. You know better than this. That's not the scary place. Why? Because I can reach up and, and, and touch his, his hand. He's close. I can hear his voice. I know what he's saying. It's really scary when, for too long, I ignore his voice. I ignore his hand. In my own power, I get myself back up, dust myself off. I'm a secular humanist. I only believe in the mind and the willpower of people. I can do it myself. And you know what? God looks and says, cool. I'll let you have a run at it sad place to be. Sad place to be. In your conviction, remember, that's a sign of God's mercy. So instead of fighting the conviction, lean into it. Be like, man, God, thank you for reminding me. That means you're near. It means you care about me. You haven't forgotten me. Verse 5, I, I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover. Say, did not cover. Yes. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you did what? Forgave the iniquity of my sin. Complete forgiveness is God's response to complete confession. Complete forgiveness is God's response to complete confession. God is not, excuse me, God is not interested, God is not interested in you confessing your sin and being unsure about the result. God gets no joy of hearing Tali say, Father, I've I've messed up. Dad, I've messed up. God in heaven, I've messed up. Jesus, I've messed up. Spirit of God living in me, i messed up. And, And then we just sit there and wait, like we're waiting on an Airbnb review. God has no interest in that waiting. That is not a game he wants to play. But he wants you to know, for now and for always, forever, you confess it, and it's forgiven. Now, only caveat, through Jesus. You're not confessing it just to be like, yeah, 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 I did wrong. We all know that. He wants to know, are you letting Jesus be Lord of that situation? How do you know if you've confessed it and meant it? Because if he's Lord of that situation, the situation stops. Right? Like, you you, you pull back. And there may be times where you you have to confess multiple times, but at some point, there's a trigger moment, there's a, a tipping point in your life where it's like, okay, enough's enough. One of the things I remember in different types of sin in my life, where as, as a 17-year-old, I remember one time, where I just processed this whole thought, uh, of this whole version of theology. And I was just like, hold on. So like, if I contributed to the death of Jesus, like he had to die to save me. So if I contributed to that, what does it mean now that I know his goodness and love and tasted and seen that the Lord is good? What does it mean that I continue to live in the sin that caused him to go to the cross? It was one thing for me to do that before I knew, but I know. I know better. I know his love. I know his grace. I know his forgiveness. I know his mercy. Why am I continuing to pile on? And it's in that moment of whatever the sin you might be dealing with is, it's in that moment. There'll be a moment where you just go, I'm done with this. I actually distaste the pleasure I get from the sin more than, more than the discomfort that I might have to avoid. Because you know why sin is pleasurable for a season? It is. But there's a difference in maturity. When you're young, you just go out and eat 55 lollipops. Right? You just go grab all the, all the ho-hos and honey buns and donuts. Oh, that was my shopping cart. Sorry. <laughs> No, you, when, when we just stuff our face, and we're just like, L-l-l-l-l. and then as you get older, you're like this thing. That you learn this word called metabolism, and you're like, whoa, I can't keep doing that. And so it's the same, give or take, with sin. It's like when we're, we're just like ra- ravenous, and we're like, I always feed myself, make myself happy, make myself happy, and then it's like, bloop, bloop, bloop oh, I'm bloated, <laughs> this isn't good, <laughs> you know, and you just stop and go, Ah, oh, how about I never put the first donut in, and all of our sins line up like this, and we're just like, well, when I go here, I have a tendency to do that, and that leads to this, huh, I got to stop going there, brilliant, like, and we start to say, I know not going there, I know not doing that thing will cause me some displeasure. There might be an awkward conversation. But in the big picture, metabolism. I don't want to have to deal with confession over and over and over and over. And since God's love and his mercy and his goodness for me are so good, I don't mind cutting that out. Because I, I, the other thing hurts more than the, the FOMO. Fear of missing out, for those of you not up on the modern-day youth lingo. The FOMO, that was funny. The FOMO, (laughs) the fear of missing out, yes, it'll hurt a little. But I'd rather miss out on that immediate pleasure sometimes than to miss out on his presence for days and weeks after that. And for many of us, What if we just decided, you know, there's some areas of life called sin that I'm going to have to get over the fear of missing out on that. Because what I'm really missing out on is time with God. I'm really missing out on being confident in who I am before Jesus. I'm really missing out on listening to the Spirit's voice when I'm not even inviting Him. I just hear Him throughout the day. He's that close. I'm that in alignment. I'm good with Him. And I hear His voice. You might want to write this down. I heard it this week. It's not mine. Name it to tame it. Name it to tame it. In the church world, there's some prosperity gospel type preaching that's name it to claim it. Name it to claim it. Name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. It's a little bit stupid, but whatever. The name it to tame it is I've got to name my sin, I've got to admit that it's there. Because once I do, then I have a chance to tame it. Name it to tame it. Verse 6, therefore, let everyone, everybody say everyone. everyone. Everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. I would underline or circle that in your Bible and just have a conversation with God. What does that mean at a time when you'll be found? Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This illusion here in Psalm 32 is, is back to, you know, the story of Noah. Years and years and years, building this ark, getting things ready. And time comes. Flood comes. Rush of water comes. And it's an it's a allusion to, in the New Testament, the Scripture talks about Jesus in a flash, in a twinkling of a moment, suddenly, one goes, one stays, one goes, one stays. Two people are working in the fields, one goes, one stays. And there's this picture, there's this moment that none of us know the day or the hour when Jesus returns and brings his people home. And so before any of that happens, it is right for us to be right with God. So, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you might be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Do you see that picture now? When faking fails you, God's grace never will. When faking fails you, God's grace never will. You can hide inside of him. You can be preserved from within because of him. And all the while, you're surrounded by shouts of joy. I will instruct you and teach you, it says in the next verse. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. We all learn through mistakes. Problem is, We could learn through the mistakes of others, or we could learn through making those mistakes ourselves. And many of us are stubborn, like a mule or a horse that needs to be pulled left and right on which way to go, because we choose not to learn from the mistakes of others. So David, in his psalm, he's saying, hey, you know what? Man, learn from me. Learn from me. Learn, Learn from a guy who's been there and done that. I've been there, I've done that, you got guns, I got a strap. You know that, Drew. (laughs) God's plan, I was raised in the hood, man, it comes out sometimes. God's plan is presence in his power, not pain in your past. God's plan for you, church, listen, his plan is that you will have a peace in his presence, not pain over your past. His plan is that you would have peace in his presence, in the present. Right now, so David's like, you know what? I'll instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which has to be curbed with the bit and the bridle. It will not stay, or the horse will not stay near you. Stay near to God. His plan is presence. His plan is power. His plan is not pain. His plan is not you thinking back to the past, living in the past. That's not his plan for you. His plan for you is that every day you are with him and he is with you and you have his presence near you and you are joyful and you're living out your potential and you're saying yes to God far more often than you're saying no to him. You don't need him to yank you and pull you back by the weight of the consequence of your sin. You don't even need that. You're just so in tune with him that you're just keeping an eye on the master and you're just walking and wherever he walks, you walk and and you just show your obedience by your presence to him. And if in a decision that you have, a dilemma, you you have before you. You can go left. You can go right. Your reaction becomes, I want the presence of God. And if the presence of God is over here, that's the decision I'm making. If the presence of God is over here, that's the decision I'm making. I want the presence of God. I know I can have fun either way, but one fun comes with a lot of pain and a lot of tears and a lot of confession and a lot of I'm sorry's and a lot of weeks being wasted in my life. The other fun comes from saying, Lord, it is fun to know I'm right with you. It is fun to not have to say I'm sorry, not because I'm prideful, but because I am in your presence. Many of us, how many of your arguments are because you don't want to have to say you're sorry? But you need to say you're sorry because you were wrong. What if it was you were not having to say you're sorry because? You did what was right. See, we're trying to get both. We're trying to do what we want and suck up all the donuts, and not have to go to the gym. And God's like, hey, you know, you could probably kind of eat a little more free if you just visit the gym every day. You can you can burn a good five, six, eight hundred calories and really not have to count anything. Just That's what people tell me anyway. (laughs) Let's wrap it up. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. It preaches itself. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast. What? Love. Love. Oh, I love that. Surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We sing because we are surrounded and supported and sent out in love. Why do we sing? I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. He's watching over me. It sounds much better on the MP3. Why do we sing? Sing because I'm happy. I'm good. I'm right with God. My sin account is short. Like, we're good. So I can actually enjoy this life. I don't have to fake it till I make it. I don't have to pretend my life is something that it's not. I can just enjoy it. Like I'm good. Like God and I are good. I talk to God regularly. And I find if I'm a step or two off, I say, oh, 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 let me slide back. I don't don't need to go through this whole week long, two week long, six month long, five year long depression. I'm good. I found out I was off beat, slid on back in. Did the the mama slide? I don't know what got into me. I was in Nashville all week, people. The more we sing, here's your your takeaway. The more we sing, the less we sin. You know what his advice is at the end of all this? Remember at the beginning, he's like, oh, I felt so terrible when I was in sin and I wasn't confessing it. I I couldn't even move. It was so hot outside. Remember? And then by the end of it, he's like, you know what? You get together with God. You choose to honor God. You choose to be wherever his presence is. You make that decision each moment of your life, and guess what? You can just sing. You can just sing. You can just enjoy this life, and you can dance and and sing and sing Because the more I'm singing and the more I'm enjoying his presence and the more I know that he's out for me and I know that he loves me, the less sin I'm going to be doing, the less sliding away from him I'm going to be trying, the less I view this as a better option. Why would I want to? The party's right here. We were in Nashville. And at night, the reason that the other guys came and met up with me, they were like, we want to do Nashville. And I was like, you want to do Nashville with your pastor? Like, that's weird. And they were like, yeah, we want to do it. So they, they flew in, like, just to hang, and I thought that was so great. But, but the thing is, like, they had checked out a bunch of the uh, places where all the music was happening because I was in class. So by the time I met up with my friends, I'm like, hey, what do you guys want to do? It was narrowed down for me. It was like this one, this one, and this one got some good stuff. And I'm like, all right, cool, let's go. And I would walk by the windows, and there, and I'm like, "Man, they're right. There's nothing going on in there." Man, that person looks bored themselves. They're playing the music, and they look bored. And I, and I'm just walking down, and we go to the place that they had told me, and it was just like energy. And rah, rah. It was Kid Rock's place. Just for the curious, and, and I was just like, "Lots of fun, enjoyment. Let's go." Why? I didn't have to go sit through all the other stuff. And it's similar. When you're dancing with the Lord, when you're singing in the Lord, and you're happy in his presence, and you're celebrating it, I don't need to be tempted by stuff I know is going to bring me down. I'm going to go to the house that's the most lively. I'm going to sing. I'm going to celebrate. And I don't need to be tempted to go over here and mess with that sin. Because I'm going to have a good time in the presence of my God. More singing, less sinning. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. We thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray that in our lives, each one of us would take this lesson from David and we would realize that, you know what? We don't need to just sit there and soak and somber. We can actually confess that and get it out and get right with you and then live in the presence of our God. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, all across this room, I want to ask you, I want to ask you right now where you are, before you get distracted by the the, the patterns of the day, I want to ask you right now where you are to talk with God. You see, many of us, the preacher's done, and and we're just like on to something else. It's like, no, take a moment. What good's the sermon if, if I'm not talking with God about it? Take a debrief moment. Take a 360 eval and just say, God, the beginning of this psalm, David was, was hunched over and fallen and your hand was on him and he felt like he couldn't even move, like he was in, in the middle of summer and his body was aching. And that was because he had unconfessed sin. And for some of us in this room, it may be that, that, that pain, that angst is there because you say, you know what, I have not confessed Jesus to be the Lord of my life yet. I'm dabbling in church. I visit on a Sunday here and there, and it's cool. It's good, nice moral values, but I've never said, Jesus, you're my Savior. Like, you're the reason that I know I have forever heaven waiting for me. And so maybe that's your moment, is to say, Lord, save me. Forgive me of my sin. I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who died voluntarily on the cross, and was raised three days later from that borrowed tomb. And he sits at the father's right hand waiting to bring his kids home. So Jesus, I put my hope and faith and trust in you. Somebody in this room might be saying, Pastor, my situation's worse. I'm that person you talked about where I don't even hear. I know there's stuff I'm doing that's against God, but I don't even hear his conviction. And it scares me to think that maybe he took his hand off of me. I would rather have his hand on me, convicted me of where I'm at. But what scares me is, is I don't even know if I've heard his conviction in a couple of weeks. And so maybe this morning you might say, Lord, please, Spirit of God, come. Convict me of my sin so that I can confess it. So that I can be made right. So Lord, bring to mind those areas of life where I'm trying to do too much on my own and I need to just surrender to you. And then others might be ones that say, you know, Lord, I've noticed that I have got off the path a little bit. I have been tempted to dabble around in some sin and do some stuff that really doesn't have anything to do with your presence. And I've been there before like David. I've been bent over and felt like the weight of the world was against me. So I really don't know why I'm here but I'm ready to just acknowledge, yes, I'm here. There's some things I've been doing or some places I've been visiting. There's some attitudes I've been having. And and Lord, today, I I, I might not be quite where David was yet, but I know that's my path. So today I want to confess those sins and I want to get back in alignment so that I can sing again. And all of us, no matter what your first path might be, all of us can say, Lord, teach me to sing so that I can avoid sin. Lord, teach me to find power in your presence. Teach me to find happiness and freedom and joy in your house with your people. Teach me to celebrate your word. Teach me to celebrate even your correction because I know it means you love me. Lord, draw me close again. Help me to sing and to dance with the song of joy and the song of love that is being sung over me.